Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At GutCheck, we make it our business to understand brands. And over the years, we've learned that gutsy brands have a lot of common factors. In fact, we've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and demonstrate what we call the power of and those that see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to learn from them. What makes them so successful? What drives them every day? And we like to get their perspective on other brands they believe qualify as gutsy. Gut Check CRO Jess Gedeke, a former leader at Nielsen, had the chance to speak with Irina Todd, the co-CEO and co-founder of Fresh Monster. Fresh Monster was born out of the belief that there shouldn't be trade-offs when it comes to keeping kids clean. Their natural plant-based products are free of toxins and are designed and formulated for kids. Before creating Fresh Monster, Arena managed some of the world's largest personal care brands, such as Axe Hair, Tresemme, and Degree. She also spent several years in strategy consulting at Deloitte advertising brands in the tech, food, and personal care space. In today's episode, Jess and Arena dig into exactly what it takes to build a brand. And spoiler, it takes a village. From women supporting women to a work environment that empowers parents and promotes a work-life balance that isn't just balanced, but blended. Kick back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Irena, we are so excited to talk to you today. I've been thinking about your business and your journey since we chatted a few weeks ago. So I'm so excited that today is here and our listeners get to learn from you. So welcome to the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Thank you, Jessica. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I need to set the record straight. You have to call me Jess. Otherwise, I feel like I'm in trouble. So we are on a a nickname basis at this point. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We're going to talk a lot about Fresh Monster through our conversation, but tell us a little bit about your background and and about um, yourself. My name is Irena Todd, and thanks for inviting me to the podcast. I run Fresh Monster. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of the company. The company is now almost eight years old, and we started the company because we wanted to um, create a product that actually addressed some of our own personal needs. My co-founder and I both worked at Unilever for many years before launching this company, and Essentially, the light bulb idea came about when we started having our own kids. Um, At the time, I was running one of the largest hair care brands in the country, and yet I didn't want to use those products on my own kids. I spent hours and hours researching to see what might be appropriate um, to use on my own kids. And, you know, it was right around the time when everybody was paying a lot of attention to what they were eating. And obviously, organic food was uh, top of mind. But for whatever reason... The hair care and skin care had not gotten there yet. We were still using chemical-laden products. And, you know, when you have a kid, you become a little bit more discerning. You start thinking, oh, my gosh, skin can absorb things twice at twice the rate that the adult skin does because of their skin-to-organ ratio. So it became paramount to think about, you know, what should go on my kids' 
uh, body. And so that was the light bulb moment in, in part because of sort of this personal need. The other part is both my co-founder and I knew the space really well. We understood what the hair care category looks like. We understood what it would take to build a product that's both supernatural and safe for kids, but also that delivers on all the personal care needs that the kids have. So that's kind of the brief background of the light bulb moment um, and how the company came together. Um, but essentially it, it all started with a little ease when we started having kids. Yeah. So it was grounded then in your personal experience, which uh, can be one way that we observe to develop empathy for the consumers and users of your products, right? So you were the mom in that sense and wanting to find a solution for your family. So do you find that having that empathy is important as you engage in your innovation and your marketing thinking? Does empathy play into it? Empathy is a huge part of it. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about my Unilever training first, because that's essentially how this appreciation for Empathy leads to building iconic brands. Um, when I was at Unilever, I'll give you a couple of examples. You either took a lot of time to understand who your consumer audience is, especially when they're not like you. So when I ran Axe Hair, which is targeting you know college age kids, yep. um, we would go to college uh, campuses, play beer pong with the fraternities, really get in the mindset of what the audience is, what life looks like, what their experience is like, and, and truly understand and have empathy for how their lives are um, led at that stage of life. Um, alternatively, when I worked on Tresemme, um, the idea was not only how do we have empathy for the needs of this consumer, but also how do we inspire this consumer? And so the whole brand was built around um, a sort of a fashionista. And so we would bring things like Fashion Week and all these iconic fashion moments to sort of the regular, you know, day-to-day -day <laughs> person who would never have access to those. And so, again, having empathy for maybe what they aspire to be or what, they, what their lives um are not, but they, they can be inspired by. And so that kind of thinking I say is pretty critical to building a brand that resonates on an emotional level and truly builds sort of a long lasting connection. And so for us, for Fresh Monster, it was the same thing. We thought about, well, how do we, beyond sort of making a product that's very clean and safe, that was essential. We also thought about how do we connect with our consumers in a way that resonates on a more emotional level. And looking at the category at the time, when you look at the aisle for any of the kids' personal care products, there's a lot of princesses and a lot of, you know, sort of Disney characters yeah. and gendered as well as stereotypical iconography. Um, and we really wanted to break through to that and think about what is special about kids in that stage and how can we connect on a more authentic level? And so for us, that meant making monsters, yeah. <laughs> design monsters on our packaging. And really the idea behind them was that kids are cool and weird and quirky. So let's, you know, put monsters out there that embody that, you know, uniqueness that every kid has. And so when you look at our monsters on packaging, they're imperfect and cool. They have five eyes, they have glasses, they're sort of, you know, they're gender neutral, race neutral. We really wanted to make sure that kids can imagine themselves 
regardless of what they looked. And so that was our way of saying, you know, hey, moms, we see you. Hey, kids, we see you. This is our way of, you know, putting a brand out there that truly connects um, beyond the superficial um, icons. Yeah. And beyond just functionality, right? It it really seems to create a sense of, um, of knowing the, the user, right? So that's, that's so cool. I love hearing about that. Um, so it sounds like you, you took quite a few lessons from your time at Unilever, but what are some other things that you took from that corporate mindset to your entrepreneurial world? I'd say beyond building iconic brands, which is kind of the essential ingredient when you're thinking about building something that's going to last and have an emotional connection, I'd say I'd also learn how to run a business responsibly. So sort of this attention to business economics is really important, understanding how your P&L looks and what are the levers of growth, how to go to market responsibly and profitably. I think all of those lessons were really, really important. And so having those armed me pretty well when we started our own entrepreneurial journey, minus all the resources. (laughs) (laughs) Just that small part of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because um, one of the aspects that we like to acknowledge and highlight when it comes to gutsy brands is standing behind a bold idea, even if it's not well understood or appreciated in the moment. And Fresh Monster was launched at Accelerate at Telluride. And I'd love for you to talk to us about what that experience was like. How did you build conviction for the brand? It was quite a journey, (laughs) I will tell you, because at the time, my second kiddo was four months old and my co-founder's third was two weeks old. (laughs) So we were busy. (laughs) And not sleeping, I'm sure. (laughs) Not sleeping a lot. Yet the conviction was so strong that when we got accepted into the accelerator, we decided to pack up our families, all of them, five kids between the two of us (laughs) and our husbands. And we moved to Telluride for five months to incubate the idea and essentially launch the brand. And I can tell you, many people thought we were completely crazy. (laughs) Not only are we disrupting all all of our lives, but, you know, we quit our big jobs (laughs) to get this journey underway. And so um, it was certainly adventurous to do that. And it turned out to be an incredible start to our journey. Uh, Not only did it make sure that we were really focused on the idea, because what happens when you're in Telluride (laughs) in this gorgeous place and that's all we were doing, it really helped gave gave us um, the focus that we needed and the excitement that it needed. And then also it came with sort of a built-in investor um, group that came and helped us fundraise at the end of the program and get everything off the ground. But I will tell you at the Telluride um, program, we had to do some, make some adjustments to our lifestyle. So we had a nursing room, we had a little play mat, (laughs) our kids came with us and they continue to be part of the journey in part because the products are made for them. So we always enlist their input and they're always our first testers. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and I can only imagine the impact that that had on that program for you to be the first to, you know, pave the way that we do need a nursing room. We need a playroom. We need a place for for our families to, you know, to, to co-create with you. (laughs) But I just think that it must've had long lasting effects. Do you think that's true? I hope so. They were certainly incredibly accommodating. I would have to say the whole town of Telluride was incredibly helpful because they helped us get kids into schools and 
kind of help us navigate the infrastructure of a new town, but also the program itself was there for us. They were truly helpful in all, you know, they built the nursing room. (laughs) They were there to support the journey and they continue to support the journey. They're one of our investors and they continue to be there for us. So I couldn't, couldn't recommend them highly enough for companies that are just starting out and looking for a way to get their businesses off the ground. Oh, that's fantastic. It's just great to hear about that. And it's a good segue to another aspect of gutsy brands that we like to highlight, which is pioneering new paths, right? Finding new ways of doing things. And I'd love for you to to talk to me about what it means to be part of this community of female founders, female CEOs, what successes has that community had and what challenges does that community still face? It's a great question. In particular, when you live in Colorado, there's a very large female community of entrepreneurs and a very supportive one. I have to say we're lucky that way. Um, there, there aren't that many of us, statistically speaking, but for some reason, there's a lot of us here in Colorado. And it's just been that much better of a journey because we have each other, in part you know, knowing that we have a taller mountain to climb, there's a bond right away, but also everybody's just incredibly supportive of each other. So when I get a phone call from a you know entrepreneur friend that needs something, I pick up and it's always the other way around. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to overcoming obstacles and things like that, we're there for each other as well. The biggest one contain, continues to be access to funding. You know, women are grossly underfunded and the valuations are Uh, much lower than male companies, statistically speaking, but also from a personal experience, you get treated differently. And so, you know, talking to each other, we kind of get prepared (laughs) for some of those questions can be. And we also often educate the investors too. You know, if an investor is going to ask you, well, how do you run a company, a fast growing company, and also raise a family? Well, then the answer is, I will answer this if you ask your male founders the same question, because dads also raise families. And so, (laughs) you know, finding ways to navigate these waters is challenging. So having other female co-founders traveling those waters with you is incredibly helpful. Yeah. So I have to ask, do you find that question a little offensive when they ask that? I find it rooted in stereotypes and outdated. I think as you know, more of us female founders stand up to those questions, things are going to look better. It's a little bit, it's the same across every industry. You hear actresses going through the same thing and saying, how can you be an actress and a mom? And that question is never asked of male actors. So I think it's pretty industry standard and it's, it's, you know, sadly falls on us to educate the male investors. And I just hope with, you know, more conversations and more exposure these investors will know not to ask those questions or things like, you know, if it's a kid specific product, they would say, well, let me ask my wife. Well, Mm -hmm. you have an experienced entrepreneur who knows the industry and category really well. You don't need to be asking your wife. And I should also hope that you sometimes give kids bats. (laughs) Well, I am glad that you have that community uh, and network to rely on each other and support each other, but um, little by little making change. So we believe that gutsy brands, they tend to see opportunities where others force trade-offs. We call this the power of and, and we think that if you think really innovatively, you can find those opportunities and, and overcome barriers. And I find this interesting because when we talked about your company, I feel like you have this mindset when it comes to the culture that you're creating and 
the types of people that you recruit and how you motivate. So tell us about your company's culture and what makes it really unique. I really like the yes and uh, mindset. And I have to say, it's one that we think about with our innovation as well as our company culture. Um, with the company culture in particular, we thought about building our company a little bit differently. So, you know, we have a team of very talented moms who may have went on a, gone on a hiatus to raise kids and wanted to come back. As you know, society makes it very hard for moms like this to come back and get reintegrated into the workforce, in particular, if there's any kind of flexibility required. And so we felt like not only as moms, but also um, kind of as entrepreneurs who want to make an impact, we thought of creating a different kind of a team. And so our team comprises of these incredibly talented moms who may have taken a hiatus and want to come back and we offer flexible employment. So if they have to go pick up the kids in the middle of the day, that is fine. <laughs> and obviously there's a synergy there too, because we make kids products and there's quite a bit of loyalty that comes from, you know, understanding and loving the products as well. But I think the culture of flexibility and trusting people to do what they got to do, <laughs> you know, but now it's maybe, an easier concept to digest because COVID has shaken up the way people work and, you know, virtual distributed teams are more common. But at the time when we were started the company, it was certainly questioned, <laughs> eyebrows raised, um, you know, why is it that you don't have an office with a ping pong table? And it was just not the culture we were looking to build. And um, obviously the kind of culture we build attracts a certain kind of uh, <laughs> talent that's, that's maybe different than one that's looking for ping pong tables. <laughs> And so it's been working really well for us. We love our, our team. Um, it's been a really um, supportive and loving type of environment. And we, could, we hope that this is going to keep you know, happening for us. And like I said, maybe even easier because you know, everybody now understands the distributed working models. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's such a powerful way to recruit a segment of the population that might, you know, not might be underserved with the job market today. So I find it really inspiring. And I also found it interesting that you're a co-CEO. What does that look like? And does that introduce any, any challenges in the workplace? It's a great question. We got that one from investors a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> At the time when we were starting the company, we felt like doing this together was critical in part to support each other and in part because we brought equal uh, but different strengths to the team. When we were first organizing the company and putting everything in place, we looked at companies like Whole Foods and Warby Parker at the time, and they had co-CEOs and tried to figure out, well, what are the best practices around how do you structure this so there's not a lot of overlap or there aren't issues down the road? And I, I think because we took the time early on to figure out how to, you know, avoid some of the <laughs> obstacles that may come with that kind of co-leadership, I think we've done a pretty good job. I mean, we've been doing that for eight years and, and still running strong. <laughs> and, and, you know, the kind of, I would say the secret sauce is just having clear, clear lanes and then on top of the obviously trust and the respect for each other. I imagine that that trust factor is the most important. Do you do ongoing team building activities with your co-CEO to make sure that trust stays fresh? We just had uh, ramen two days ago. Nice. <laughs> the Very best good. way we build trust is we eat food. <laughs> My co-founder is Korean and I cook Croatian food. So be between the two of us, we're inventing this Croatian, Korean uh, <laughs> new culinary path. <laughs> yeah. I like that collaboration a lot. 
Um, and speaking of, of global, uh, you've worked all over the globe. So what is one of the more interesting or dynamic jobs you've had? I would have to say my, my United Nations interpreter job was probably the most dynamic. <laughs> it, it happened uh, right after the war in Yugoslavia. And so I was interpreting as part of peacekeeping missions, but also with journalists and government officials that were in that area trying to mend sort of war wounds and understand what happened and kind of pave the path of reconciliation. And maybe the most interesting story I can share is that I spent the summer with Lady Di when she came to Bosnia to tour uh, refugee camps. And with her came a huge assortment of journalists. <laughs> so I was interpreting for, for one of the uh, journalists that basically followed her work and gave her a spotlight that those refugee camps really needed at the time. And so it was an incredible journey to see somebody with so much grace and so much to give as well as using media to spot, uh, you know, highlight on communities that really needed help. So that I would have to say that was my favorite experience to this day. I think she was amazing and kind of a role model. Wow. I did not know that was going to be your response. That's, that's incredible. Um, goodness. I'm sure there's no shortage of lessons that you learned from that time and from her, but what are some of the things that you've brought into your, your business life from that time? There's a couple of things I'd say that continue to be themes throughout my life. Uh, one of them is just to jump in <laughs> and figure stuff out. So, you know, being daring and bold in tackling things you don't know about ambiguity and just figuring it out is a skill. We're not born with it. And so the more you practice it, the better. And I'd say the other one is, and this one in particular, I think applies to a lot of entrepreneurs is there's going to be so many roller coaster rides. You know, the, the highs are high and the lows are low. And so learning how to ride those without getting sick on the roller coaster is really important. And so thinking about it in terms of longevity and saying, listen, this is a long, long run. <laughs> and so these, the, you know, these highs and lows are going to be there and just figuring out a way to, not, you know, just kind of go through the middle. <laughs> it's, it's pretty huge. I continue to learn that one. It's not easy, but it's certainly one that I saw um, when I was interpreting too, just because there's so much at stake, but again, keeping the cool level head um, is pretty important to making good decisions. I can't imagine how the pressure of that job and what was at stake to make sure that you were interpreting effectively. I can't, I can't even imagine. I can, I would think it would feed into all sorts of things, how you approach negotiations, how you approach retailer sell-in conversations. I, mean, I could see it touching a lot of things, but what's obvious is your positive energy around it. So I think that that's, that's completely shining through. You know, the only other thing I want to mention is in line with what we talked about around the power of yes, the power of empathy, we started this company to create products for kids. And as our kids have been growing, um, we've gotten to know the families and people using our products. And through that experience, sort of this empathy lens, we have started seeing that people wanted the same thing for their dogs. And so we ah. decided to launch a pet brand called Mighty Mutt with the same philosophy of how do we create something that's really safe and works really well, <laughs> but for our 
furry kids. <laughs> and so I would say the and has been really beneficial to us because it, it expanded the definition of family to include dogs and it helped accelerate our growth as well. And so that's that's potentially another example of how, you know, just being open to, you know, extending your insights and ideas can be really beneficial. Absolutely. And letting that empathy lead the way. That's tremendous. Congratulations on that extension of the brand. That's fantastic. So we're going to move to our first lightning round. For this section, we want you to name the first brand or campaign that comes to mind. There are no right or wrong answers. You just have fun with it. Okay. 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 What's a brand or campaign that truly demonstrates empathy? I would have to say Reading Partners. It's a literacy nonprofit organization. It's the ultimate example of empathy because they um, serve kids that are behind in reading often in schools that don't have um, resources. And so they match up volunteers one-on-one with kids that are behind. And within three to six months, they help them thrive. They're so effective at getting these kids back on track and then some that that ultimate empathy for caring for that one kid is truly turning into incredible results. So that one is really amazing. So if people are looking for a volunteer opportunity, that one is incredible. (laughs) Oh, I love learning about those types of opportunities. So that, okay, reading partners, that's going on our list of things to investigate and promote. Okay, what's a brand or campaign that has been really pioneering? It created a new way of thinking or doing business. This one, I'd, I'd highlight my friend Dana Spalding, who runs a wine company, Wonder and Ivy. And her whole insight here was sometimes when you want a glass of wine, you don't want to ho- open a whole bottle. And in an industry where the bottle means everything, she kind of disrupted it by saying, why can't we create single serve wines that have the same experience, not in a can that kind of, you know, lowers the effect, (laughs) but in a beautiful glass bottle that delivers the same kind of aha experience at the end of the day, but you don't have to open up a whole bottle. So I'd give her a shout out just because I think she's truly changing how you're thinking about the wine business. And it took her a while to break through the stereotype of what what wine packaging should be and what wine experience should be. Sure. So you said wonder and Ivy, is that right? Yep. Perfect. So, and I love that example as well, because that's a category that hasn't seen a lot of innovation aside from the canned packaging or some of the Tetra stuff, but that's, uh, I love hearing about those stories about really rethinking the whole equation. So that's fantastic. And another brand for me to try. What about a brand or campaign that stands behind bold ideas, even if not popular at the time? But this one, I'd highlight um, Megan Bent and Harbinger Ventures. So it's a early stage growth fund. She's one of our investors, and I've seen her invest in other companies. And the mission is to not only help these special companies grow fast, but also to make sure that at least one of the co-founders is a woman. And this is very unusual (laughs) in the category, uh, in the investment fund world, because you know, stating upfront that you want a female co-founder is pretty revolutionary and she's gotten a lot of pushback. Yet, if you look at all the statistics, female co-founders have tremendous results and often return better results than male co-founders. So there's data behind her philosophy, but she continues to push the boundaries on this and disrupt a very traditional way of thinking in the investment space. And it is so needed. 
um, in particular in a world where capital access to capital is is fewer for female companies. So why do you think that's true? Why do you think females are so effective in being co-founders and CEOs? I have many hypotheses on this. None of them are studied. And I think there are statistics that maybe detail this out in a more scientific way. I will share my personal opinion, which is that I think female founders often have a very rigorous and grounded perspective on their businesses. At least when I've seen presentations of some male co-founders of their projections and their goals, they're often so incredibly high <laughs> that it's very hard to, you know, make them and oftentimes maybe not even rooted in reality. <laughs> and so there is a certain kind of groundedness that I have seen um, that comes with female founders, which sometimes hurt us as well, obviously, because then, you know, if you're not selling the sky's the limit kind of path for your growth, then also you don't get the same valuations. But at the same time, you know, the business longevity speaks for itself and rewards <laughs> the founders that are successful. So I'd say that 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 could be one of them. And I also said, like I said, um, there's so few of us that there is a really tight community. I would definitely give a shout out to all my female co-founders who have been so helpful. And when you you know need information to get it from somebody who you trust is really important. That's not to say the male founders don't have the same. Obviously, they have amazing networks as well, but it's certainly been a fuel for us. Maybe I'd also say women multitask a little bit better. Based <laughs> on my husband and I. You think? Yeah. <laughs> we'll um, a more things. <laughs> it's it's what we're built for, absolutely. But I love what you led with there, which is to say it a different way is a level of pragmatism that really helps with that foundational goal setting. But also the the passion from the network. I agree. There's some there's some power to that. So um, I salute your hypotheses, and I bet they would play out in in the data as well. So back to our lightning round, which isn't really a lightning round when you think about it. <laughs> but I'll come back to the final one here. What's the the brand you think of that really embodies that power of and? So seeing an opportunity where others might force compromise. Here I'll highlight a really cool brand called Woo Skin Essentials. They do skincare for skin that has tattoos. Um, for a very long time, the category has seen that need as very niche and kind of seen as, you know, just use Vaseline. <laughs> Who needs special skincare for that kind of a need? And I'd say my friend Miguel Garcia, the founder of the company, um, and his co-founder, who is a tattoo artist, Dr. Wu, saw this as a white space to say, no, 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 these people really need, uh, you know, skincare that's designed for their needs. And if it's good enough for tattooed skincare, it's going to be really good for dry skin, sensitive skin. And so the power of and really created something that's niche into something that's a lot bigger and more compelling. And it was, as a result, it's a pretty iconic brand. So I think that's a really great, great story. A great example. That sounds like a wonderful uh, podcast guest as well. That sounds like a very interesting brand. So hopefully you can introduce us to Miguel. Okay, well, let's go to spill your guts. This is all about you. This is just you and your natural self here. So you and your natural self here. So what's the first brand you remember as a child? 
That one would be Nutella. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm European. And so <laughs> having Nutella and crepes is a big quintessential childhood memory mm-hmm. <laughs> and continues to be so. Sadly, I've gotten my kids hooked on it too. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. use those individual pack sizes? That's what my daughter gets addicted to. Oh, we use the Costco jumbos. Big one. You don't mess around. Okay. I like it. I like it. Nutella is a great brand. Very nostalgic for you too. I like that. What book or movie best represents your career journey? I think for here, I would use Stanley Tucci's new book. Have you heard of it? Stanley Tucci's, I I believe it's called Taste. And it's essentially a book about resilience and um, having a big heart, the importance of family how to move on and it quintessential to everything is food. So kind of, you know, highlighting his journey through how, where he ate, what he ate. I really empathize. I read that in two days. It was so delectable. <laughs> oh, it sounds, it sounds delightful. Can't wait to add that to my reading list. How would you describe your job to a child? This is easy because my kids help me pr- develop all the products. <laughs> uh, so I would say the easiest ways we make safe products for kids, skin and hair. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. we make it for furry kids too. Now for furry kids. I love that. I love that extension. What's one piece of advice you would give a business leader that's looking to help their brand be gutsy. I would say grit pays off in the long run. And so trying to stick with it is the biggest piece of advice I, I can give any entrepreneur. I would say longevity rewards businesses. And so if you can stick around and be greedy through the ups and downs, I think there's going to be a rainbow at the end of the journey. (laughs) I totally agree. I think that that grit tends to be one of the very common characteristics of the, the leaders that we, we interview. So that's excellent advice. What is the most used emoji on your phone? Hearts, hearts, hearts. <laughs> hearts. And is it, are you a red kind of heart person? Do you explore the different colors? Cause I don't know how to use the different colors. Full on red. <laughs> okay. Just very authentically red heart. I love My it. heart on the platter. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I feel big and I show it with red hearts. <laughs> That's fantastic. And we are compiling a gutsy brand playlist. It's really fun and it's a good one to listen to. What, what song would you add to it? My eight-year-old is super into music. He has his own Spotify playlist. Nice. So I would say I would pick one of his favorites right now. And it's not a new song, but it's still pretty hot. It's called I Am Titanium. I'm You know, the beat is really awesome, but also the message is great. So yeah. that one. <laughs> awesome. Well, this playlist is getting people pumped up and that song is a perfect addition. So Irena, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and learn from you about your uh, fascinating background, but also the impetus of, of your business, Fresh Monster and now Mighty Mutt. Can't wait to see that second brand um, in my, my household soon. So thank you so much for sharing your perspective and wisdom. It's been a lot of fun talking with you today. Great. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And don't forget to check out our Gutsiest Brands Spotify playlist. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.